Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan. I pray you are all doing great and thank you so much for tuning back in. I know it's been about like two months since the last time we got to hang out and talk uh, on this podcast, but I'd say in the next month, we're going to continue. We're going to hop right back into it. We're going to continue on our topic of the series of salvation, and then we're going to be getting into some more topics on Always More Wednesdays uh, that the Lord has given. I'm very, very excited about, but for the time being, I wanted to just share a talk that I was uh, blessed to give on Saturday, March 20th. I was uh, blessed by an opportunity and invite from um, from a beautiful ministry called Revival, and it's actually out of the ECRC, the Eastern Catholic Reevangelization Center in West Bloomfield, and it's with our Chaldean brothers and sisters, and um, it's just beautiful what the, what the Lord is doing in, in the church here. Uh, but I was very blessed by an invitation to come and speak to um, it was this retreat for young adults called Connected to Jesus. And so the Lord placed a topic on my heart, and um, this was the talk, so I wanted to share it with you all. And if you guys hang out until the very until the end of this, this podcast, at the end of it, I'm going to actually pick back up a few more things that I wanted to draw out in the talk um, I'm going to share with you on this podcast. So enjoy and thank you, and God bless. Thank you so much, Nori. Praise the Lord. What a beautiful night, huh? Praise God. Thank you guys so much for coming into this revival retreat. And uh, just like to echo what Nori said is like, you know, there's so many other things that you guys could be doing. And just like sitting in prayer, I feel like even some of you may like have like even thought of actually like two types of people sitting in here right now. It's like, I can't wait to get here because things are going on that I just like, I need this retreat. And then the other part are people that maybe even like you know, I could be doing other things. I could have a productive night at the house with the family, whatever it might be, with friends on this beautiful Saturday evening that the Lord blessed us with. But the Lord has called every single one of us here tonight. He's welcomed you. He's invited you. He's called you by name to be here tonight to receive from him. So we're just going to be children, you know, like what Nori said is just be little children just receiving on this retreat. God wants to give us so much. It's, a, it's, it's amazing. So uh, I just want to thank uh, Vincent and Nori and Riva and just this whole revival ministry, you know, this revival retreat to invite me to encounter Christ with you guys. So um, I know you guys are probably thinking for this first talk, who is this redheaded Huada doing up in here? <laughs> so just a little bit about myself really quick. The most important things is that my beautiful wife, Napoli Araha, or, well, Napoli Beachna, she's, uh, you know, we've been married for 15 months and we have 18 days away from having our first child. Praise you, Jesus. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. So, uh, yeah, we just come here today so blessed by all of you uh, just saying yes to this. So, um, and I know, like, this is how Chaldean I actually am. Like, honestly, once I, once I became into the Chaldean culture, I realized how Chaldean I am. Okay, my, my, fa- my favorite meal, Shelhom. My, my favorite dessert, Rashi Udibis. Who, who likes, uh, likes Ashisaraya? Anybody know what Ashisaraya is? Okay. It's some of the best dessert that her mom makes. <laughs> I listen to Mabruk, Mabruk. Like, hey, I love, I love this culture. So it's, it's such a blessing to be here tonight. So the layout of my talk is going to be about like 40 minutes. And then I really want to get to like 10, like five, 10 minutes of prayer. Like you guys hearing Jesus speak to you, okay, tonight. So, um, so the layout of my topic, the main topic that the, the Lord has placed on my heart tonight is God's heart for our relationships together, particularly within our vocations, whether it's married, religious, or in your, you know, who, is anybody married in here besides me and Napoli? We're 29 years old. We're way older than you guys. So, <laughs> so uh, but um, 
even in your, your single state right now, even just like seeing what our marriages look like and our families, our friends, our relationships, and what God is inviting us into um, within, you know, that future vocation or that, that current vocation that we're in right now. So, um, but first I'm going to talk about communion with God and we're going to use uh, the Garden of Eden as like our main reference point tonight, okay? Um, we're going to be talking about communion with God, the original design and how it's fulfilled in a greater way in Jesus. So, and then we're going to transition to our communion with each other. And then we're going to get to some prayer. It's going to be awesome. So, if we go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, okay, when God created the world and he created Adam and Eve, it was perfect communion. Man with God and humanity together, Adam and Eve representing all of humanity together and all of creation in perfect order, right? So everything and, and what they had there was they, you know, everybody is like, oh, they ate from the bad tree, you know, but there was actually the good tree there is the tree of life. Okay. And they were, so they, were, they had their divine food. They had divine drink with the life-giving water and in and, and, and the garden, okay? So perfect communion, perfect harmony um, with God, humanity, and nature. And so we see at the very beginning the relationship of God to man who is made in his image. So we are made in the image and likeness of God. And we see right at the beginning that God's relationship to us is father to a son, father to a daughter, and bridegroom to bride, we're going to get to all this, unpacking it. But So this is the very relationship and communion that God reveals throughout all of salvation history to go back to his, his original plan and even in a greater way in Jesus. So uh, this is the type of communion that humanity had with each other. In Genesis 2.25 it says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So they knew truth. They were vulnerable. They were open. They, they were completely exposed to each other. Yes, they were probably physically naked, but even more so, like their hearts, their souls, they were completely bare to each other and unashamed, unashamed, you know? So that was the, that was the type of communion that they had. Um, and they were there with, with God and the tree of life and the, this life-giving water that they had that ran through the garden. And then the fall happened. And I'm gonna, we're going to read this here in uh, Genesis 3, 4 through 7. This is, this is the fall. The serpent said to the woman, you will not die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So uh, just really quick, not, we're in Lent, right? So this is a, a good Lent uh, portion of this really quick, is when it says that, um, that it was good for food. In 1 John, uh, 1 John 2.16, 2, John is talking about how every single one of these are connected to the fall of the human race. And this is why we pray, fast, and almsgive. He says it was good for food, and St. John calls it the lust of the flesh, and this is why we fast. You know, we, we deny ourselves of the things of the flesh. Um, and it was a delight to the eyes. St. John calls it the lust, the, the lust of the eyes. And this is why we pray. We turn our eyes to Jesus and not to anything else. And then she, and then, uh, and it was a desire, and it, she saw that the, the, it had food that was good to be desired to make one wise. And this is what St. John calls the pride of life. And this is why we give alms, to give it away. I don't want to keep it to myself. I want to give it away. So um, just a little Lent takeaway right there. But the key points that I want to pull out in what we just read was that their eyes were opened after 
eating from the bad tree, and they were naked and ashamed. So it was how they ate that made them, their eyes open and really kind of closed <laughs> after that, after the fall. And then they, they were naked, so how they were clothed, how they ate and how they were clothed. So that's going to be kind of a theme running tonight. So, so ever since that fall, God has been revealing to us that this relationship, this communion between God and man and nature, this communion by how we are clothed in communion meal, he's trying to get back to, and even in a greater way. Okay, so um, we see this all throughout the Old Testament. This is, this is what's going on. But we're gonna, I'm just going to highlight just one specific example. Moses, everybody knows Moses. He was, he, was in, uh, he was in Egypt, and Israel was there, and they became slaves in Egypt, and God leads them out. So when they were out in the wilderness, right, when they were out in the wilderness, um, they, he was, they were fed with manna, okay? And then when they were given the, the temple, the temple was actually the place where they were, it was the reordering of the cosmos, so the Jews believed like that was the place of right worship. So it was perfect communion with God, man, with each other. And it was, it was the whole creation being in, put back in right order. Even in the temple, they would engrave the, the trees of the garden of the nature. They would have stars to show like this is the place of right worship. Everything's put back into place. The cosmos is put in right order. So, and then so it's again, they would clothe the, t- the temple, the tabernacle, this place of worship. They would clothe it with the most beautiful of gifts, right? And this is what God t- told them to do. Gold and all these fine materials to build this temple. So they were clothing it with the most beautiful things. And they were eating and drinking. So even in Exodus 24, so, um, so after they rescue, after God through Moses rescues Egypt, or rescues Israel out of Egypt, it says that um, God establishes a covenant with Israel through Moses that's sealed by a sacrifice that had blood sprinkled on the people. So they would, they would sacrifice and they'd sprinkle the blood on the altar to represent God, sprinkle the blood on the people to represent the people. And he says, behold, the blood of the covenant. And then so they had divine food and divine drink because in the three verses later in 2411, it says that they beheld God and ate and drank. So they are having this heavenly experience of communion with God right, on this mountain, Moses and Aaron and the 70 elders, that they were on, they beheld God. And they said, if anybody saw God's face, they would die, right? So they're, they're seeing and beholding God and eating and drinking. So divine food, and they're being clothed in the temple and the tabernacle, right? And these were just simple signs. These were just simple signs. The true desert that, they, that we're in as humanity, so they were, in, they were in the desert, right? But God gave them a place of, of worship. They gave them food, and water, and wine, and all of these beautiful things, to be living in like an oasis, right? Living in a garden, even in the midst of the desert. But these were just signs. The true desert is our broken communion with God and with each other. That's the true desert that we have in this world. But God wants even more than that. So, so the key effects of the fall, they were already made in the image of God, and the serpent got them to believe that they needed to earn like being, becoming like God. The serpent said, if you eat of it, you will be like God. But it already said that they were made in this image. They're already like God. They're trying to become something without God that they already were in God, right? They were striving for something. And then they ate from the bad tree and their eyes were opened. And afterwards, they were naked and ashamed. So the true desert is, is life without God. The true garden is full communion with God. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit is the ultimate fulfillment of communion with God. 
the whole Gospel of Luke, it's very focused on the, uh, the priesthood and, the, and Jesus being the temple, the true temple. Okay, so Jesus is, the main focal point of Luke's Gospel is Jesus is both the high priest, he's the temple, he's the fulfilled temple, and he's the Lamb of God. He's sacrificed for us, right? So it's all, it's all focused on these things. And what do we see? In Luke 24, this is after Jesus' crucifixion, his death, his resurrection. The first thing he does is he goes and walks with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Everybody familiar with that story? Yeah. So Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus, and it says that he opened the scriptures, Moses and the prophets, and about how Christ fulfilled them all. And they couldn't recognize him, right? They didn't see that it was Jesus. They just thought it was just some man telling these beautiful stories about how Christ fulfills all these things. And so... And they were like, please stay with us because the day is far spent. They're tired. They're in the desert, right? But what does Christ do with, do with them? He takes them and he stays with them. And in Luke 24, verses 30 through 31, it says this. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. These are the exact same words that we see with the Eucharist, right? So Luke 22, the Holy Thursday before, before Good Friday, it's the same words. He took bread broke it, blessed it, gave it to his disciples, says, take this all of you and eat of it, right? So it's the same language, right? So this is my body. This is the words of the, bri- of the, bri- of the bridegroom to the bride. This is my blood. Those are the words of the, of the sacrifice of Moses, right? We just read, the, here, behold the blood of the covenant. Jesus is saying, this is the, the eternal covenant right here in my blood, but this is my body. So he's saying he's the, he's the bridegroom of God giving his full, his full self to the bride, the church. And then what, does it, what happens after that? It says he gave it to them, and their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. Has everybody drawn the connection? In Genesis, they ate from the bad tree. And their eyes were opened, naked and ashamed. Jesus in the Eucharist is the fulfillment of the garden, of the tree, of life. We eat from the good tree. Our eyes are opened, and we recognize God. Right? So it's this beautiful way of bringing us back to the garden. And then the Holy Spirit, remember how we're clothed, right? So that's how we eat, is the Eucharist, communion with God, the tree of life, but also being clothed with God. In Luke 24, 49, this is right after the road to Emmaus, and they go back to Jerusalem. They're telling the disciples, like, Jesus rose, he's here, he's alive. And then he goes and he says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Talking about the Holy Spirit. So Jesus right here, he's telling us he wants to take us back to the garden with the Eucharist, the Holy Spirit, the life-giving water, the tree of life. This is where we are. With the eyes of faith, every single time we come and participate in Mass, when we participate in the sacraments, we're participating in the new garden, the restored garden of Christ. Okay? And so ultimately, it's fulfilled in heaven, right? So we participate it here with the eyes of faith, but we're already participating into the heavenly worship. And when we see in Revelation, we see both of these fulfillments, eating and being clothed as with God himself. Eating, it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. What's the, what's the Eucharist? What's the Mass? The marriage supper of the Lamb. God himself saying, this is my body, take it. This is my, my full gift. This is bridegroom language giving it to the bride, holding nothing back, giving us everything. 
And then what do we see? Clothed. Our blessed Mama Mary. Oh my goodness. So in love with her. So, but like in Revelation 12, it says that, it says that the ark, the temple, God's temple opened up and the ark of the covenant came out. And it said it was a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon, with a crown of 12 stars on her head. Nature, all in right order relationship. Mama Mary clothed. And she represents the church. Mama Mary is the perfect embodiment of what God has won for us, done for us, what our fulfillment is. Body and heaven, perfect communion with God, perfect communion with each other, perfect communion with, with nature. This is what we see in, in the Revelation. So that is what we are heading to. That's, that's our future. That's the fulfillment of what God wants for us. But this is what Christ calls us to here and now, right? It's not something that we have to wait to, to see the book of Revelation unfold and when we get to heaven. This is something that we participate here and now. And, but there's a sense still that the, even that communion with God is an incomplete communion. And what I mean by that is because God has revealed that it's because it's that way. He wants us perfectly in communion with each other, right? So the Eucharist and the Holy Spirit is our communion with God, right? So we're the, we're the bride, we're the bride receiving from the bridegroom. We're the children of God receiving from father to son, father to daughter that holds nothing back. That's what God has revealed himself to be. So the, Holy, the Eucharist and the Holy Spirit is our communion when we eat and when we are clothed with a new and fulfilled, restored garden. But there's part of that garden that Christ desires us to live in as well, which is per- perfect communion with each other. When, what did we see before the fall in relation to the human relation, in, in relationship with each other and in, in humanity, Adam and Eve? They were together in truth, naked and not ashamed, right? And we know that uh, even the heart of the Eucharist and the Holy Spirit their whole mission is to bring us together. St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, he both says that, that we, we partake of the, the one bread and the one body. He's referencing the church and the Eucharist at the same time. So the whole, the, all, all of us are supposed to be in communion with Christ's body because we partake of the Eucharist. And then the whole, thing of the, the whole mission of the Holy Spirit is to unite us as well. He says that we drink of the one spirit, right? And he's talking about, he's saying how we're many members in one body. So when St. Paul is looking at the Eucharist and looking at the Holy Spirit, he's like, that's not just for me. That's for me and you to share in together, to participate in. It's almost incomplete if I don't have you, right? We need each other, okay? So this is the other part of the garden that Christ is calling us into right now. Even in the midst of the world, which is the desert, is to live in communion with each other in perfect love. So he's calling us to live in the garden, even in the middle of of the desert. So, but even in the desert of this world, what do we see in our, in our friendships, in our relationships, our marriages, in our families, in our, we see brokenness. We see unhealthy relationships. And those two, th- those last two things that I mentioned, our marriages and our families, like parent to a son, parents to a daughter, bride and bridegroom, that's what God has revealed himself to be. And those are the foundational relationships of an entire human family and yet they seem like to be the mo- some of the most broken. And this is what I feel like God has placed on my heart specifically to get to tonight. Um, so this whole foundational relationship that we see in the human family is broken. And we're scandalized by it. And it's caused by sin. So how many of us have ever thought 
that when we see our marriages, whether it's our own parents, whether it's family members, our friends, or even just typical, like we see, we see marriages out there, we see divorce, or even the people that aren't in the divorce, they're just unhealthy marriage. And how many of us who have ever thought of, well, it's just better to not get married then, or I'm going to wait, I'm going to have fun now, because almost anticipating that marriage is going to be boring, <laughs> it's going to be like, it's going to be unhealthy, so I'm going to have fun now, I'm going to do my thing, and then when I'm 35, you know, going on 40, I'm going to settle down because that's just what I should do, right? How many of us thought of that? I've thought of it before. <laughs> I was believing a lie. So this is not new. It's the same cause and effect that has happened since the very beginning. It's sin that leads to division and brokenness, which scandalizes and leads to further division and brokenness. And the root of it is a belief in a lie. And I feel like what the Lord has placed on my heart, that lie is, is that we're powerless. We can't do anything about it. We see it, and it is just what it is. That's how I am. So the lie that what I see in my relationships, the brokenness and division, this is the lie. Like when I see brokenness from other people, well, that's just going to be my experience too. Or my past experiences, I have bad relationships. That's just going to be mine too. My future is going to be that because that's just how I am, right? So like we're scandalized by what we've experienced, what we see, and we just think that that's just, that's just what it is for me too then. So it's the lie that, you know, that we can't change our relationships, that we're powerless. So let's go back to the beginning again, Adam and Eve. They're already created in the image of God. And yet the serpent, who is the devil, made them believe that they had to eat from the bad tree in order to become like God. In short, what they did is they forgot their identity. They forgot who they already were in the image of God, children and bride of God. They forgot that they had, they had God in each other and they believed that they didn't have enough power. So let's go get it ourselves, right? So they ate of the fruit of the bad tree. Their eyes were opened, naked and ashamed. And this is the, this is the response. God, after, after the fall, God asked Adam, where are you? And when he finds them, he says, what did you do? He blames God. Adam blames God and he blames Eve. He says, the woman that you gave me, she told me to eat of it. And I ate. <laughs> so literally, he pushes the responsibility to Eve and to God. He said, it's y'all fault. <laughs> All right. So what, in a sense, though, what he's, what's he saying? I was powerless. I was powerless. So I'll just share a quick story of just me and Napoli. So Jesus radically broke into my life in 2016, 2017. I converted and became Catholic, and my life has just radically changed. The Lord, like, broke just all these bad habits, these bad relationships, all of these things that I've, that I've done and healed me. <laughs> he restored my childhood. Like, my, you know, like the purity of a child, like, you know, like, unafraid of just who they are. They're just having fun. Like, you guys see me like up here, like goofing around about like how, how Chaldean I am, even though I'm a water. <laughs> but like, but like he's restored all that. Like before I would like, you know, I had the things of the world in my heart of just like being insecure, like fear of man, feeling what everyone else thinks. I got to fit in with the world. So I'll just go. I played football at Grand Valley and it only got worse. <laughs> right. So like I was just in the things of the world and, uh, God radically broke into my life. And after he broke into my life, 
um, I got really engaged in, you know, um, evangelization and seeing Jesus physically heal people. And I want to see other people's lives changed. And it was like my life so radically changed that the only way that I feel like I could pay Jesus back for what he did for me or whatever it was, was to become a priest. That was literally my thought was like, I've seen so many bad relationships. I've been in bad relationships and that's just who I am. I can't have a good relationship. So you know what? And I love Jesus. I want people to know him. I want, I want to get the sacraments to people. I want to be evangelizing all day. I want to be teaching about the beautiful truths of the church that Jesus founded. I want people to know that he's right here in the Eucharist, you know? And I was like, priest, I'm out. <laughs> like, I'm ready. I'm ready to sell my house, my car. And I was doing, you know, weekends at uh, Sacred Heart Major Seminary after work. I work at Deloitte. It's a public accounting firm. And I was like going to, you know, in March 2018, I was doing discernment weekends <laughs> at Sacred Heart saying like, and I loved it there too. I was like, I'm so ready. I want to do it. <laughs> I want to do it. And, uh, but as good and beautiful as like my desire to be a priest was, there was actually an underlying lie that I was believing even as Christ was healing me. And that lie, that lie was the relationships that I saw, the marriages that I saw, the relationships that I experienced, like there's no way that I could be a good father. I, there's no way I could be a good husband. So priesthood, right? I was powerless. That's what I believed. And in the summer of 2018, when my beautiful wife, Napoli, me, her, and uh, 12 of our other friends, we went on the Camino de Santiago in Spain. And before that, me, Napoli, and two, other, two of our other friends, and I told God too, when we go on the Camino, this is my final discernment. Like after the Camino, God's going to like speak so clearly to me. I'm going to know, and my, I'm, in, I'm just assuming that God's going to tell me that, yep, you're going to the seminary. You know what I mean? And like, Leading up to that, God started revealing more and more about marriage. I was like, whoop, not for me, not for me. That must be for somebody else, you know? Like, I'm going to the, I'm going to the seminary. And uh, so, be, but before we went on the Camino, uh, uh, me and Napoli, and we were just, like, good friends. And, like, obviously, like, saw, like, how beautiful she was. And she was amazing. And she was, like, one of my best friends leading up to this moment. But um, me, her, and two other friends went to, uh, went throughout France to Paris, Lisieux, and Lourdes. Lourdes, where our Blessed Mother appeared to St. Bernadette, right? And I had a crazy, powerful encounter with Mary. She, she, she revealed so many things to me, but she revealed to me my vocation to be a, a husband and a father. And this is the, the climax of, of my whole encounter with her. This is what I told her. I was like, if I'm called to be a husband and a father, then I need purity. I need to be a better man. And three things happened simultaneously that day. Like, this is the climax of it. My heart got super hot, and like my whole chest like got real warm. She gave me an image of white blossoming roses, and she said, my son has made you pure. She was putting my eyes on what Jesus was already doing, what he's already done, what he's going to continue doing. Don't believe in the lie, Jordan, <laughs> that you're not going to be a good husband, that you're going to have broken marriages, broken relationships, like you're not going to be a good father. Don't believe in the lie that you're powerless. That's essentially what <laughs> Mary was telling me, right? So the most important thing is she is pointing me to her son and his works. Focus on Jesus. What is he doing? Don't believe in the lie in your experience of what the world does, relationships that you've seen, relationships that you've experienced. Don't believe in that. And uh, the night before, so we got married the eve, the eve of the Immaculate Conception, December 7th of 2019. And the night before I was just praying and I just felt like Jesus told me like, I want your marriage to be, I want people to say, Look at how they love each other. Look at how they love each other. 
That was a quote from the very beginning of the church when pagans were becoming Christian because they saw the Christians loving each other. They didn't become Christian in the first place of knowing the truths of the Eucharist, knowing the truths of the Holy Spirit. They said, look at the people. Look at how they love each other. They'll die for each other. You know, nobody else did that. That was foreign. Um, so look at how they love each other. And that's what God is calling, you know, me and Napoli to, and that's what he's calling all, all of us to. So it's communion with each other. So we know that in the restored garden that Christ invites us into is to have power, right? So remember what Christ said. You'll be clothed, right? So clothed again, back to the Genesis, with power from on high. To not be powerless. And what is the power to do, to do what? To love, to love, to love like Christ crucified in this desert, which is the power and the wisdom of God, St. Paul calls it, Christ crucified, the power and the wisdom of God. And remember what Adam and Eve was reaching for, power and wisdom. And it was the wrong tree. <laughs> so this is the radical nature of, uh, and St. Paul also and, and Jesus themselves, they say, and Jesus himself says that love fulfills the whole law, right? Love fulfills everything. To love your neighbor as yourself, that term right there is the fulfillment of the entire law, St. Paul says. And this is after his conversion, after being a Pharisee, you know, being strict on the law of Moses, right? And he radically says that. So this is the radical nature of what Christ's heart for unity together is. So in John 17, 20 through 23, Christ says, For those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be one in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be as one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So he's not talking about just like we agree on some things and we disagree on others. And no, he's talking about the Trinitarian unity in us with each other. And what does he say? So that the world may know that you have sent me. What is he? So... He's saying that he wants us to be so radically one that the world will know that the Father sent Jesus. So in other words, what's he also saying through this whole thing? When we're not together, it's a scandal. Just like we're scandalized by broken marriages and relationships. That's supposed to be unity, and I don't see it. So I'm scandalized, right? And I don't want it because we're powerless. That's the lie that we believe in. First John um, 1 John 4, 19-20, the same author, he writes in his letter, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he, whom he has not seen. So what is he saying? The Christian way is, I love every single one of you guys because what God has done for me. He's loved me so much that like, it's not just me, me and God. God set it up so that I would so radically encounter him that I would be transformed by his love to pull you into this love, to pull Napoli into this love, you know, to pull Vincent into this love. Communion with each other. He even says that, how can I love Vincent who I, who, who can I, how can I love God who I can't see, but love Vincent who I can see? St. John, who is the disciple on Jesus' heart at the Last Supper, says that we, I would call him, I would be a liar, right? Oh, I love God, I love God, but Napoli, Vincent, all you guys, I could do without y'all. <laughs> that makes me a liar. Matthew, uh, in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, this is, what, this is what Jesus says. If you are offering your gift at the altar, 
and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So he was talking at this time, this is in Matthew 5, right? So the Beatitudes, he's on the, he's on the mountain of Beatitudes, and he's telling Jews this, who would come to Jerusalem three times a year, wait in super long lines, long lines, to offer a sacrifice in the temple, right? So they worked hard to get what they need to sacrifice. They were standing in line, and Christ says, even if you waited all day, all night, you get to the temple with your gift. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I did something wrong to Napoli. Well, I'm going to offer my sacrifice and then I'll get to her later. No, no, no. Like Christ says, like, prioritize that relationship now. And then come. Because it's an incomplete communion. Right? Incomplete communion with God if I'm going to offer sacrifice, I'm going to worship, I'm going to, I love God, I love God so much, and yet I'm in a, you know, I'm in, bro- in, a, in a broken relationship. And what happens, like, when people have wronged us, we're supposed to be called to imitate Christ. Christ was being crucified by his people. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He forgives from the cross, and he also even offers an excuse. They don't know what they're doing. That was a church father that quoted that. <laughs> but, like, Forgiving and providing an excuse. How many times where we do the exact opposite? Like, well, I can't forgive because of what they did. This is God Almighty on a cross being crucified by his people. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And even in the midst of us being crucified God, crucified God, he says, forgive Jordan, forgive Napoli, forgive Vincent, forgive all you guys, for they do not know what they do, right? So what does this mean for us? It means don't be ashamed of love. Fight for it. Fight from it. Fight for our relationships. Do not believe in the lie that, we're, you're, you, that you are powerless to change a relationship, to change your past experiences, to change uh, you know, our friendships, our marriages, whatever it might be. Do not believe in the lie that our families, our friends, and the strangers that we passed, that we passed on the street aren't worth it. Every single person is worth it. Fight for them. Participate in this love story of God that he has called you into. So it's very easy for us to repeat the blame game of Adam, right? Remember we talked about it. God, you, the woman that you gave me, I, I'm a, it wasn't me. We're, it, we do the same thing. And just as Adam blamed Eve, we like to point and blame each other. Even, as, uh, even us being like religious and we, we're here, we're devoted, we love Jesus, it's very easy for us to lash out against people, even sometimes rightly so. There's a lot of Catholics in the public world right now living in scandal right? Living, living in sin. So rightly so that we're calling people out on their stuff. But I would say this is actually contrary to what, what God would, what Christ has revealed to us and how we do it. We go and preach truth, but it's a truth, it's a truth not saying crucify him, crucify him for his sin. It's actually saying, here's the truth, here's the love, and I'll be crucified for you because sharing this truth with you. We're a crucified people because we follow a crucified God. And I think a lot of times in our relationships, whatever it might be, easy to blame, easy to blame the politicians that's going on, easy to blame people in the church, our families, or whatever it might be. And honestly, what we're saying underneath our breath at the same time while we're pointing the finger is crucify him. But that's not the Christian way. The Christian way is, I love you so much, I will die for that truth to, to bring a politician back to Christ. And I'm not going to share the truth and say, here's the truth, Deal with it. No, I'm going to walk in this messiness relationship. I want you to be, and like, I will be crucified for this truth because that's what Christ has done for me. So our flesh is weak. 
but we are people of the Spirit, right? In other words, we are in the desert, but we are called to live in the garden, even in the midst of this desert. I'm going to read Ephesians 5. You guys, you guys know Ephesians 5. It's like, you know, it's the one that's always read at marriages. is read at, read, at, read at mine and Napoli's. You know, you know, men love your wives and that whole thing. We're going to read that, and I'm going to pick out a few things as we go. St. Paul says this, and starting in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So right here, it's a pretty, this is a pretty cool little insight right here. Jewish weddings, before the, the, the bride would come to be coming to, the, coming to the bridegroom, her loved ones and her family would actually give her a bath, like a baptism. And what is St. Paul drawing on? Washing with the word. So Christ himself in baptism, Christ himself is washing his bride to become spotless, to be received by the bridegroom, which is Jesus. The same one who washes, the same one that we receive in baptism. Um, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Even so, husbands should love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. Again, he's going back to the beginning in Genesis. This is a quote from Genesis 2.24. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. That mystery, that Greek word for it, is mysterion, and that's actually translated in Latin to sacramentum, where we get sacrament. So St. Paul is calling our marriages. This is the great mystery, the great sacrament, and I mean in reference to Christ and the church. So it's the great sacrament of marriage. He's, what is he saying again? Let's go back to the garden. He's saying our marriages, our, all of our friendships, our relationships are supposed to be reflecting Christ's love for his church. And he's calling it an inseparable union. He's saying Christ married the church and you cannot separate the flesh because the two shall become one flesh. And Christ says, no, let, let no man put asunder. Let no man separate, right? Um, and what's interesting is right after this, St. Paul actually goes on a dialogue of talking to the children about obeying your parents. So what, again, he's hitting the two main foundational relationships, right? Being, talking about to the husbands and to the wives, bridegroom to the bride and then he goes on right after that and says father mom to children to son and daughter and that's exactly what God has revealed himself to be God the father God the bridegroom we are his children we are the bride right so Christ or St. Paul goes on to talk about both those beautiful relationships and then he goes on right after this in uh, chapter 6 10 through 17 but be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So he's saying that we're in the desert. The devil, the flesh, the world, right here, that everything that he just listed out, he's saying we're in the desert. We're in a battle. We got to fight. And what is, he, what is he just talking about? Marriages and families. He's saying, your relationships are worth fighting for. Die for it. You know, I heard Jason Everett say one time, he overheard uh, somebody at the gym talking about how, 
he's about to get married. And he's like, man, I got I got to give like fifty percent away to her. Like I got to give give half of her of, to everything. Everybody know who Jason Everett is. He talks about like chastity and everything. He's 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 amazing. But he goes up to him and he was like, no man, don't give her fifty percent. Give her hundred percent. Give it all to her. Then you're gonna have a happy relation, um, happy marriage. Give it all to her. Hold nothing back. So St. Paul here again is telling you, you're in a battle, so don't be powerless. You know that we're, we're, who our battle is with, right? It's not with flesh and blood. It's with the evil one. We're in this desert, but he's telling, telling us to walk in the garden. He says, therefore, take the whole armor of God. Be powerful. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth around your waist and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the gospel of peace. Besides all these, taking the shield of faith, with which you can quench the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So in short, what is St. Paul saying? Be powerful. Live in the garden. For the fight, for the sake of love. Don't be ashamed of love. Actually be a fool for love. Be foolish for love. That's, hey, and I mean this in the, like, when Christ was crucified and this is what St. Paul, remember when I said, like, St. Paul says that, Christ crucified is the power and the wisdom of God. He was saying that exact phrase because the Jews seek signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. <laughs> right? So people were seeking power apart from God. People were seeking wisdom apart from God, doing the exact same thing that Adam and Eve did. But Christ crucified is living in the garden, here even in the midst of the desert. Right? The power and the wisdom of God. So be a fool for love, because Christ was a fool for you, right? So in, in, in short, my whole talk is we're called to live in the garden, even in the midst of the desert. Don't believe in the lie. Don't believe that you're powerless, whether it's your own parents, whether it's you know, people that you see, whether it's just broken marriages, relationships, broken friendships. Don't let them go to waste. Nothing's in vain that you fight for when you're just out of love. Don't sell yourself short. And I'm talking to myself too. Hey, literally yesterday, I got into an argument with my wife. If bishy, the term for like bath or shower, if it was a verb or a noun, and I don't even speak Arabic, and she's a speech language pathologist. So I lost. And I was like, that's how, like, hey, I'm in this with you. Like, we're fighting, right? Like, let's be a fool for love, though. Okay. Praise you, Jesus. Okay, so this is the most important thing. This is the most important thing right here is what Christ wants to speak to us right now. What time is it? I'm going to get you. Five minutes. Five minutes. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, so the best thing is that we are children and the bride of God. How foolish would it be if we believe that and yet we are like, God doesn't speak to me. God doesn't talk to me. God doesn't want to show his wisdom, his insights, his, like, his plans for this, this relationship. I just talked with a coworker this past week, broken relationship with her stepmom. She's been, you know, she, she was, said that she was going to counseling for like 12, I don't know, for the full 12 years, but that's, she has seen counseling like, to deal with all this. We prayed for like 45 minutes. She had like a game plan. She had like all this like wisdom from Jesus because we were listening to his voice. She felt freed. She felt loved, right? So like right now, I want us all to pray. And uh, I'm going to lead you just through like question and answer, okay? So you're, we're going to ask Jesus 
questions. We're going to ask them, who do I need to forgive? And we're going to and engage our wills, right? So like forgiveness is not saying what somebody did is right. It's actually saying what they did is wrong. That's what it implies forgiveness, right? Like if I, if I didn't need to forgive somebody, then they didn't do anything wrong. So forgiveness, St. Augustine says, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and not hoping the other person dies. <laughs> That's what unforgiveness is. Christ doesn't want you to have that. So we're going to ask Jesus, like, who do I need to forgive? And whatever he, he gives to us, we're going we're gonna to engage our will and our hearts, even if we don't feel it. Like, Christ, Jesus, I want to feel like I'm forgiving this person. Okay? And then we're going to ask them, what lies do I, have I come to believe about myself? And I know, like, everyone's single here, and I've been talking about marriage the whole time. But, like, like just, like, I want to go back to, like, my own story. Like, this was a transformative moment, not be after I got married, but before. Like, I, I, Christ had to set me free from the lie that I was believing in order to have the relationship, the marriage that I have now. Right? So, while you're in your single state, if you're worried about your vocation, what is God's will for me? Like, be faithful to the moment now. Be faithful to Jesus now. Don't be like, well, after this, I'm going out to the bar with my boys because I'm about, you know, I'm going to get married at 40 and settle down. That's when it'll be like boring. Like, no, like the fullness of life is living with Jesus right here and now. That's what he came to give, to give life and life abundantly. Not in a future state right now. No matter, what you, no, matter, no matter where you are in your life. Um, so we're going to ask Jesus about like lies that we believe, and then we're going to ask him for truths, because his truth overpowers any lie. And we're going to be set free tonight, okay? God's going to do awesome things, okay? So the way that God loves to speak to us is mainly through our thoughts. If, you're, if you receive images or ima- your imagination, like just pay attention to your thoughts. And there's, I feel like the Lord's going to show you like people you haven't even thought of, like, dang, I remember that now. Christ isn't bringing something bad up to condemn you or anybody else. He's like, this is a wound I want to heal. Okay? So if you guys just, uh, even just like, this is a retreat. You guys are here to receive, okay? So like, close your eyes, sit back, whatever, relax. But like, I love praying with my, with my hands open. Just want to receive from God. Right? I'm the, I'm the child, I'm the bride, just receiving from God. So open your hands and I'll lead you through a prayer. But uh, I'll just say a little prayer for you guys right now. Father, we thank you so much for just the gift of every single one of your children here right now that you have called and invited. Father, I love you so much that uh, you gave us the Holy Spirit that we call out Abba, Father, that the Holy Spirit makes us children of God, adopted. So, Father, I just thank you so much for every single one of us um, here that's present and all of our family, our friends. Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would fill every single person here had to toe with your, with your presence. Make Jesus extremely present to every single person here right now. And if you guys just repeat this after me, okay? Jesus, Who do I need to forgive? And just pay attention to your thoughts. And as like our people like run it through your mind, like whether their faces or their names or whatever it might be, just underneath your breath, like in the name of Jesus, I choose to forgive 
and then just say their name, like one after another if you want. If you guys just repeat this after me in the name of Jesus, I choose to forgive all of these people and anybody who's ever hurt me or my family, lied to me, or used me for something, or made me feel powerless. In your name, Jesus, I forgive them. Please bless them and make them holy. Let them feel your love. You guys just ask them one more question, or the next question. Jesus, What lies have I come to believe about myself and my relationships? And if the Lord is like giving you words, like in my heart, I felt like somebody here may uh, be leaving the lie that you're alone. Um, as an example of that, just say in the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie about that I'm alone. So underneath your breath, whatever the Lord is like giving you a word or phrases or whatever, a sense or feelings or whatever it might be, the hurt, the brokenness, the lie. In the name of Jesus, I renounce and then just say the lie. You guys just repeat this after me. In the name of Jesus, I renounce all of these lies. I break its power over my life.
And we're going to ask Jesus another question. This is the most important one right here. Jesus. Jesus. What truth truth? do you want to replace these lies with? Do you want to replace these lies with? And as like the Lord's like giving you these truths, you know, like just come into agreement with them, whether it's in your own words, but like just say something along the lines of like, yes, in your name, Jesus, I come into full agreement that I'm not alone, that I'm, that you're always with me, that I'm seen by you, I'm loved by you, whatever the truth is. Just repeat after me, Jesus. Jesus. Thank you for all these truths. Help me to believe and to receive, to let it bear fruit in my life. Set me free, Jesus, in your truth. And let's just ask him one more thing, okay? <laughs> one more, one more, Jesus. What do you think of me right now? Jesus, I thank you so much for the the truth that you've revealed, every single thing that was spoken from your heart. I take full authority over over every single lie or every single uh, spirit that's coming against your your children, Father. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke it, command it to be completely gone. And every single truth that you have spoken from your heart tonight, Father, I just ask that you would seal it in the name of Jesus, that it would come to bear effortless fruit now and all eternity for every single person here and anything that uh, wasn't from you, Father, I ask that you would just wash it away in the blood of Jesus, that it have no impact or influence over over all of our lives. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you all so much for joining and for listening into this talk. I, I pray that it really blessed you and that it really challenges all of us that uh, to yield to the Spirit, to to live in union with God, and to live in this beautiful restored garden in Christ, even in the midst of the desert, which is this fallen world, our fallen human flesh, and to and for all of us to completely yield to the Spirit, which tells us to go after the mission as Jesus did. 
that was the full mission. Father sent the Son, and the Holy Spirit sends us <laughs> to be in union with the Son, even in the midst of this desert, to be living in the garden with communion with God and with each other. So I pray that this really blessed you. And just a, a few things I wanted to draw out a little bit more. So in the Garden of Eden, there was that foundational relationship, as we talked about, of humanity with God and all of creation. So there was that two foundational relationships, which are to, to all of humanity. What are, what are the two foundational relationships? It's a parent to a child, and it's the bride to the bridegroom, right? So that's the, the family is the very foundation of human society, and this is exactly what God has revealed himself to be to us. So at the, in the Garden of Eden, we see both of these. We were children to God our Father, and we were a bride to our bridegroom, and God holding nothing back. And the and the beautiful supper of the of a marriage, right? So Adam and Eve, beautiful uh, covenant relationship. They were given divine food and divine drink, and um, and God held nothing back as our as our bridegroom to us. He gave us everything, and He clothed us as a father, giving us, and He dined with us, having with we had truth and purity with each other, with God and all creation, and we were abiding, right? And so. After the fall, and what we saw again is God trying to restore this this father-to-son, father-to-daughter relationship, and bridegroom-to-bride relationship. We're his beloved children. We are his beloved bride, who he sees and wants to pour out his love upon. And so, uh, when just really quick, when we saw... Uh, you know, the, the covenant um, of Moses on the mountain, and they beheld God and, and, and ate and drank on the mountain. Right before that, he, he, had the, he had the sacrifice, right? So he had the sacrifice, and he instituted the covenant, and he says, this is the blood of the covenant. And he sprinkles the blood on the altar and sprinkles the blood on the people. And this covenant would be uh, the continuing covenant of sacrifice that at the temple, at the tabernacle, they would sacrifice. They'd give their best things to God. They'd give their first fruits. They'd give their first, their first animals. They'd give their best things that they have to go. And yet God reveals in his son Jesus to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice in union with Christ's living sacrifice, right? So, uh, so to live in the garden, even in the midst of this desert, because uh, we are in this fallen world, it requires sacrifice of our best things. And it's a full giving of ourselves in the fullness of revelation with Jesus. It's a full giving of ourselves to truly find life, to truly live in love. A true authentic love is a complete giving, a non-contracepted uh, love, a complete giving to, to God and to each other. And so with this backdrop of in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning, it was a father to a children, bridegroom to bride. And then throughout the old uh, throughout the old covenant, God is revealing that he is a father, he is the bridegroom, and he is instituting covenants, a complete self-giving of ourselves. These are the three things that Christ institutes um, on Holy Thursday and after his resurrection, right? So when he says, this is my body, these are the words of a bridegroom to his beloved, a giving of a complete self. This is my body for you, a complete giving, holding nothing back. And then this is my blood. This is the words of a covenant. <laughs> These are almost verbatim the words of Moses. This is my blood shed for you. This is the words of the covenant. And then clothed with power from on high. This is words of a father to his children. So we see 
in the new covenant, primarily in the Eucharist, primarily in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we receive. This is my body, the words of the bridegroom to his beloved. This is my blood, the words of the covenant. You will be clothed with power from on high. This is words of a father. And so in the new covenant, in this restored garden, we are going back into a fully, even more powerful garden. So this God just lavishes his love upon us in the new covenant. And specifically clothed with power from on high, we know that this is words of a father to his children because in the, at the very beginning again, they were clothed and afterwards then they reached out, they lost sanctifying grace, right? They lost, lost the gift of the spirit and they, they saw each other, they were naked and they were ashamed, right? So we see right there that a rejection of the, of the father is, re, is a rejection of grace and a rejection of the, your own identity and you lose yourself and you're naked and ashamed. But in the new covenant, we are sons and daughters. In Galatians 4, 6, this is what, what St. Paul says about being a son or a daughter and the Holy Spirit. He says, because you are sons, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. And this is intimacy. This is intimacy in the spirit. This is the new garden. We are children receiving the spirit. And then in Luke 11, 11 through 13, Jesus himself talks about uh, right here in the context of how a father gives to his children, he talks specifically about the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So in the fullness of time, in the fullness of revelation, in Jesus Christ, we are the the children with a good Abba, with a good Father who is pouring his Holy Spirit upon us, in us to transform us and upon us for the transformation for everybody else. And so, um, and when, we, when, when I talked about in the talk about being powerful, like do not believe in the lie that you're powerless, that you can't change, that you can't do all these things. These are not things to be mustering up, right? This is exactly what Ab, Adam and Eve did. They forgot what they were already were, right? So they reached out for something that wasn't, wasn't there. So they had a disordered, uh, um, disordered thinking that, list, that went to a disordered action that led to uh, brokenness that went to being divided. So when I talk about being powerful, it's being clothed with God. Ephesians 6, right? So to have the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the helmet of salvation, shod with the feet with the gospel of peace. Like this is being clothed with God, not ourselves, not of the flesh. This is being clothed with power from on high. This is yielding to the spirit. This is being dependent upon God. This is grace. And then in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 25, this is exactly when I was talking about in the talk about being a, being a fool for love. Don't be afraid to look, to, be, to look like a fool for love because Christ was a fool for you. I forgot to finish the whole thought there, but this is what the whole context says in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 25. St. Paul says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
So St. Paul is getting at right here, power and wisdom, power and wisdom. And what were Adam and Eve searching for, looking for, and trying to get what they already had in God? They believed in a lie and it made them go and try to get wisdom and power, power and wisdom, and by, by getting fruit from the, from the bad tree. They forgot who they were. They forgot what they already were in, in this covenant relationship with God their father and God their bridegroom. And so they went to seek power and wisdom. And so now in this desert that we live in, to live in the garden is to lay down your life for your friends. No greater love than this. This is where we find the power and wisdom is to be crucified to the world. This is why St. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And he also says, I have been, cruci I have been crucified for the world. <laughs> so to live in this true, authentic love story of God is to give ourselves completely with Christ crucified. And this is precisely what it looks like to the world is foolishness and weakness. But we know that being united to Christ crucified is power and wisdom. And truly, brothers and sisters, if, if you've ever made a decision, even one little act, where you're like, you know what, I'm going to deny myself and go after love for somebody else, I promise you, you find so much life in it. And even then, when our hearts are being purified, we begin to realize that we don't just do it for the feeling of feeling like, oh, I just did something great or I did, uh, you know, I, I, I feel alive right now. That's not why we do it. This, we're, we're, we're in a complete union with God and with each other. And we realize that we want to be united to the bridegroom and to the father. And this, so this is a complete giving to give how, uh, uh, as God does, right? So God is love and he, it, we do not love because, because of us. We love because he loved us first. And so this is the whole revelation right there. And, and so be a fool. Be weak for God because that is precisely how you're going to find power and wisdom, right? So be a fool for love. Fight for our relationships. Fight for our marriages. Fight for our children. Fight for our parents. Fight for our friends. Fight for all this brokenness in the world. People are worth it. People are worth it because Christ died for you when you were yet when you were a sinner, when we were brokenness, right? When we were enemies with God, Christ was sent, and He died for us. He died for you at the cross. And so, when I was pulling out a little bit more, just this last bit right here, when I was pulling out a little bit more of just like how we are a crucified people, what I mean by that is like before I was a Christian, I realized. Like now that I am a Christian and like living in love with Jesus, um, what I realized was it was so easy for me to, I would blame everybody else. I would never take responsibility, right? St. Augustine says this beautiful thing. We're not ashamed to sin, but afterwards we're ashamed to apologize. We're ashamed to say sorry. We're ashamed to forgive. Like that is the complete opposite of the kingdom of God. Like we should be ashamed of ourselves and be quick and be utterly like ready and happy to forgive, apologize, to, um, to say sorry, right? To repent and uh, because of our brokenness. So, and what I was doing and what I think we do is like even people who are followers of Jesus, like we see like people's brokenness and we call them out on it. We call, we see sins as it is and we, and we should call out sins, but like, do we do it out of love? 
which is out of a full communion, right? It's a, it's a relationship with people who are broken and fallen. Like, are we, are we going out and are we dining with sinners? Are we dining with the people who are despised? Like, that is the opposite of Christianity is to say, like, we're just going to judge everybody. Like, no, like we judge with right judgment. We judge with, we judge with, we see the, the sin and we see the action and we call out, we call out things not because of just call, for the sake of calling out things. We call out horrible things because we know that the person who's doing it, you're not finding life in it. Live and let live. That's how people die, <laughs> right? So we have to share the truth. Yes, but it's, are we doing it? Are we reaching out? Are we seeking to save the lost? Are we going after? Are we becoming all things to all men so that we may save some, as St. Paul says? Are we becoming weak? Are we becoming... We are we becoming weak to the weak? Are we becoming uh, strong to the strong? Are we becoming like all these things just to save people? Are we reaching people because it can't come out of any place else but relationship, right? Uh, primarily, <laughs> but sharing truth and love. Do we really know what that means? So, like a lot of times when we're seeing this stuff, what we're really saying is crucify them. But we are not people standing around the cross anymore. We used to be that. We are like when before I was a Christian, I saw my I see myself as exactly that. There at the cross saying, crucify him. With every single sin that I created, every single time that I hated somebody, every single time that I blamed somebody, I was at that cross with everybody there saying, Crucify him. Crucify him. But as Christians, we see that we almost switch places. When we become a Christian, we fall in love with Jesus. When we see the love story of God that we're called to be a part of, we switch places almost. Instead of being at the cross yelling, crucify him, which is actually condemnation for ourselves, we're actually there as Mary. We're there as the beloved disciple. We're there as the good thief on the cross. We're there as the women. We're the people who love. We're the people there. We're the people united to Christ. We're the people who says, no, because of truth, because of love, I'll be crucified. I'll be crucified. And this is what I mean. When we look at other people's faults, we look at other people's sins, we look at our, our broken relationships in our families, our, in our marriages, in our uh, family, our relationships, whatever, our friendships, whatever it might be, where a lot of times the flesh just wants to yell, crucify him crucify her. And yet Christ calls us to a transformed love to actually be on the cross out of love, but not be on the cross out of condemnation, right? So the two good thieves are a beautiful image, especially the, uh, this, this holy week that we're going into right now. It's the, uh, the whole image of Calvary is the image of the mass, right? There's sacrifice and love, a complete giving. It's, it's God, our father pouring out himself as the bride, bridegroom to the bride it's you know it's the it's the one eternal once and for all sacrifice and we participate that participate that in a very real way in the mass this is my body the words of the bridegroom to his beloved this is my blood the words of the covenant to be clothed with power from on high words of a father to his children so we participate in that so this is a beautiful scene to reflect on as you go to mass this holy week is are we the people at the cross yelling, crucify him, crucify her? Or are we people following a crucified God to become a crucified people to realize that, that it's a complete giving of self to truly love, right? So are we going to be the good thief that says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I deserve this, you don't. 
or are we going to be the other, the other thief that says crucify him even when we're being crucified the words of condemnation is crucify him the words of love is i'll be crucified for you crucified to christ crucified to the world this is what it means to give ourselves fully to have a non-contracepted love to completely give ourselves to god and so live in the garden even in the midst of the desert